I was like, I've been working on like PhD things all this week. I should have something funny lame is to say, but literally it's all just like, and then I had to take this out. <laughs> and then Aww. I had to take this out. Sadly, I have to actually go into academia if I want to continue having ideas. <laughs> Boo, no one wants that. How dare they make me have to continue into this. I just wanted to say all my thoughts about lame is and then get a, a I was going to say prize at the end. <laughs> that's not what I get, just a, a title. A title's a pretty good prize yeah, i can't that's... believe you're gonna be a doctor <laughs> doctor the like thought process of whether i'm gonna put it in my twitter no i'm gonna put it in my twitter handle you, you but whether to. i'm gonna put it as like you know because i'm a writer and so my name is on things and whether i change my name to having the doctor in it like mm. when i'm submitting plays and stuff i'm like or is dr nemo just the academic <laughs> it's like both Cunty, but also like you deserve to flex. <laughs> oh, I feel like Javert. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like Javert. Well, because that's something you would say about Javert. Oh. <laughs> Maybe I saw a Tumblr post that was like Javert is serving cunt or something. So. <laughs> he is, and like also speaking of Javert. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is Brennan Barricades, a Lamers podcast. My name is Nima Martin. My pronouns are they, them. I am your host. And honestly, I'm just, I want to get through this introduction so we can get to Conti Javert. <laughs> this is Stevie. She's a pronouns, primary researcher. And yeah, nothing that we've done this week is important when we know that Javert is serving cunt. <laughs> Are we going to have to beat this out? We're not TikTok losers. No. <laughs> We're allowed to swear here. Yeah. I did realise we did have an episode before that was like called something... Was it Marius's Pussy or something like that? And I didn't realise that the episode title was actually being censored uh, <laughs> until like I went to go back and I was like, what is this title? It doesn't make any sense. And then I was like, oh, it's just because I can't see the word pussy. And in that episode, you were actually like, oh, like Apple is going to censor us. And I was like, no, they won't. <laughs> of Turns they out they did. So. What did they censor it to? Um, they just deleted the word. So. <gasps> Marius's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> redacted maybe that's better <laughs> javert is serving redacted Pricing. <laughs> i want to know i want to pay for that show <laughs> that's what the title of our um panto is called mm, well yeah speaking of javert <gasps> in this uh book that's meant to be about eponine uh yeah well she's a woman so what does she really count for yeah, we've been like fighting our way through these boys to um, get to a man. <laughs> <laughs> Javert's triumph at the Gobo tenement seemed complete, but it was not. Mm. So it's it's just you know, in the first place, and this was his main concern. Javert had not taken the prisoner prisoner. Uh -huh. The murder victim who flees is more suspect than the murderer. Mm -hmm. And you're just like. I guess that this is, like, who Javert has been. But, you know, it's just, like, you know, if you if someone's trying to murder you, it's probably your own fault, and you probably even deserve it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what's it called? It, um, CCTV, um, which is, like, closed something television. Closed circuit. Closed circuit. Yeah. It's, like, the, the um, surveillance cameras. They're motto statement thing is like you sh you don't have to worry if you're not doing anything wrong and it's yeah. like god that's so like i i still need privacy though <laughs> please well the likelihood was that this individual so valuable a prize to these ruffians was no less a good catch to the authorities they were like mm. has no one innocent ever had a crime like committed on them Ever? <laughs> it's fair, I guess. Yeah. He's like, um, you've probably done something criminal in your life. Have you read a law book? Do you know what laws you haven't <laughs> obeyed? Like Definitely. Oh, and then also Montparnasse has also eluded him. Mm. He would have to wait for another opportunity to lay his hands on the devil's dandy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because, uh, if as we recall, Montparnasse had not been at his post. He was instead chatting with Eponine. But mm. 
he'd slipped away, whereas Eponine had been caught and put in the Madelinettes with Azelma. M-L-M-W-L-W antagonism. <laughs> that took way too many <laughs> brain cells to say. Yeah, I was like, what are you spelling? I can't even follow it. <laughs> Gay, lesbian antagonism. There we go. <laughs> and then also, on the way from the Gorbo tenement to La Force, one of the boys they caught, Clacuso, was just has just vanished. <laughs> He had vaporized. He's a close-up magician. Oh god, he deserves to go to jail. <laughs> Literally, it was either a case of magic or the police had something to do with it. There's nothing mm. in between. Mm-hmm. Was this Martin part of the dual enigma of order and disorder that basically sometimes cops will use a criminal to, I don't know, figure out what crimes are being committed and so like undercover cop style. Or like um knock situation. Yeah. I think it's actually more that. I think you're right. Did this Sphinx have his forelimbs in crime and his hind limbs in authority? <laughs> Javert did not approve of arrangements of this kind and would have taken exception to such a compromise. But his squad does include other inspectors behind beside himself. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's just funny because, like, in a modern day police procedural that I will write one day, that's like Javert. He would be like so anti police corruption. But then at the end is when he's like, oh, fuck, the entire thing. It's just crumbling around me. The more you look, huh? The more you look. I was the police corruption this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is like the question. It- I guess I don't, right now we don't know either. Mm. Is Clacuso, who is such a villain, he might make a very good agent? <laughs> uh, is he a double dealer? Mm. Um, and him vanishing for Javert, it's more annoying than surprising. <laughs> yeah. As for Marius, Javert attached very little importance to him. Yep, that's, yep. And that's why he's our boyfriend. Yeah, we're like, yeah, he may be a cop, but he hates Marius. So, (laughs) really, they equivocate. Unbalanced. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, the investigation into that whole crime of what the hell was going on in that room that smelled a lot like burning flesh, (laughs) where they took a lot of boys in, is underway... They've got one boy, Brujon, in solitary confinement, hoping that he's going to talk. So Brujon, his dad had also spent a lot of time in this jail. Mm. His signatures, like, etched into stone there. Brujon, 1811. Hm. Whereas our Brujon is 1832. And... <laughs> a family, uh, a legacy to pass down. Yeah, maybe he'll he'll etch his name underneath um but he's a very cunning and crafty young man with a very bewildered and pathetic look about him (laughs) which comes in very handy because it's that like whom's to me look that gets the magistrates to release him thinking like oh no he'll be more useful in the corps charlemagne than in solitary confinement what is the corps charlemagne i'm assuming that it's like another type of like prison yard mm. large central street well maybe the prison has a large central street and yeah rather than solitary confinement is like the large like the like just in the main cells who knows we want a free range uh pathetic looking boy <laughs> don't put him <laughs> in his like us <laughs> Don't keep us in our little battery hens or two confinements. <laughs> We're too bewildered for that. Being in the hands of justice, though, is no obstruction to robbers. In the same way that there's artists who are already showing one picture at the salon, but even so are working on a new painting in their studios. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, I um, literally today was like, I don't want to work on any of the plays I've been commissioned to write. <laughs> I want to write my Voltaire musical. <laughs> Oh, Voltaire musical. Yeah. <laughs> Just like so obsessed with it. And like, uh, I'm writing so many fucking shows about like 
non-binary people of color but of course voltaire i know that as soon as i pitch it people will be like yes marketable let's yep. do it <laughs> uh, <sighs> but he, he's a pathetic white boy nemo instant millions <laughs> he's a he's a uh he's an intellectual white french man who also meow, meow. loved british people so oh perfect Dan. you can get more funding we have too much funding already but also like a self-read for hugo i think who was trying to sell the rights to which play was it was it it was notre dame uh, before he'd even finished writing it (laughs) he was like would you like to make a play about it and then the publishers who'd paid him for the book were like you can't mm. fucking sell this to other people. What are you doing? <laughs> so that's Brujan. And he's wandering around prison, just like a little bit dazed seeming. And he'll sometimes just like stand for hours in the canteen, which is also relatable. Yeah. Um, he spent his time shivering, saying he had a fever. And then out of the blue, later on, it's discovered that the seeming numbskull Brujan had been sending secret messages to so three messages basically all to various other boys from Petron Minette mm. his little crime crew that there were instructions about a planned crime mm. but then because the police had found out they just like go and arrest these three boys they're <laughs> <laughs> like get off men to this plot but he's up at night in his dormitory writing something in the light of the wall lamp and it's a postillion which he throws from Corps Charlemagne into a different prison yard what the prisoners call a postillion because it's Victor Hugo and I know things about things <laughs> cleverly kneaded ball of bread that is sent quotation to Ireland quotation that is to say <laughs> Over the roofs of a prison from one courtyard to another. Etymology. Over England from one country to another. To Ireland. Hmm. So it's just like a cool bread way of sending secret messages. Uh, There's one to catch a kite is um, a similar way of doing it in contemporary in America where you get like a piece of fishing wire and like a piece of paper and then you like throw the, the paper out of your door and then like swing it around so that the paper goes into like the next cell and then mm-hmm. you like pass it on to, to catch a kite so it's interesting that there's like you know i mean obviously there's going to be slang for passing messages that aren't <laughs> legal in mm. a prison <laughs> yeah if, if another prisoner finds it they'll just deliver it to its destination and you're like I'm sure that is exactly what happens every single time Hugo Um, if a warder finds it oh actually no he does say or one of those prisoners secretly turned traitor who are called sheep (laughs) yeah (laughs) then the note is taken to the clerk and handed over to the police Mm. in this occasion the postillion made it to its destination and that person it's trying to make its way to is Babette and it said, Bebe, or is it Bebe? I think it's Bebe. Baby. Baby. There's a job worth doing in Rue Plumet, a gate with a large garden behind it. So Bebe manages to get this note to a good friend who was in Le Sopetriere, and that went to a woman, Menon, who I think, because he goes mm. like, as you will all remember, is that the old woman that Gavroche was a bit of a bitch to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's her then. And has it happened already, like, the two other kids? No? Okay. Well, she'll be back. Mm-hmm. So she has had dealings with the Tenardiers before, as we will, of course, remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets it to Eponine, who has been released with Zelma. Mm. So Eponine's like, okay, uh, I'll look into it. Finds the house, spies on it, lays in wait. And then sends a biscuit to Bebe's mistress in La Salpetriere. And a biscuit means nothing doing. Uh-huh. So it was that that this embryonic crime was aborted. 
<laughs> However, this abortion had consequences completely unconnected with Brujon's plan, as we shall see. Often uh-huh. you're tying up a loose end, and in doing so, you get caught up in something else. Mm. <laughs> what a mm. metaphor! <laughs> yeah, that is... Yeah. But in, in the abortion metaphor, what is the getting caught doing something else? Mm. He's mixing his metaphors? <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like, okay, you, you've aborted the child, then. Which then is what, the crime? And then what's the, like. Oh, now another crime's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Does it bear thinking about too hard? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Oh, but we had Eponine in her book, finally. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Now we get another old fave. Mm-hmm. We're make, just making our way through the men of this book in Eponine's book. Uh-huh. So Marius doesn't visit anyone anymore, anymore, but sometimes he does happen to run into Pema Buff. <laughs> yeah, Daddy Beef. Yeah, they both walk down this similar path. Mm. But so I'll get into it all. But basically, times are hard for Mabuff in the same way that Marius thinks that times are hard for him. Mm-hmm. So when they pass each other, they just like do a sad nod. <laughs> they can't even like stop and be like, hey. Oh, yeah. Because um, heartbreaking that a time should come when poverty creates estrangement. Once two friends, now two passers by. Mm. So for Mabuff, his floral book just isn't selling anymore. And his experiments with indigo are just, like, not working. Because, uh, if we recall, he moved to, like, a new little house. Mm. Because he's not got as much money anymore and he needed a little garden. But it's so damp and so shady. But he's not lost heart. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he's renting a little corner plot in a garden which has a bit better exposure. So he's going to keep doing his indigo trials at his own expense. Mm. And he's had to pawn his copper plates from his from printing his book. He's reduced his lunch to two eggs. And one of these he leaves for his old servant, whose wages he hasn't been able to pay for 15 months. Mm. And that lunch is often the only meal that they can eat. God. <laughs> he no longer left with his childlike laugh. No. He'd grown morose. <laughs> so for that reason, him and Marius are just like, I feel like there was a stage in um, like the last year where people would come onto Zoom and the like response to like how's it going is just you know (laughs) yeah it's that (laughs) and because Mabuff's life was confined to his books his garden and his indigo and it's from these three forms that happiness, pleasure, and hope have come from. They've all been taken from him. No. Uh... All he needs to survive. He's like, I, I don't, it's Hugo, so I don't know if this is meant to be a haha. Like, I think, like, he almost took me out of the sadness with this one. When I've made my balls of blue. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe, like, I know it's because of the indigo, but, like, still you're like, well, maybe blue balls wasn't a saying back then, so maybe no. that's <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if I... Oh, do I just Google the phrase blue balls? How do I phrase this so I'm not just going to get, Blue like, balls etymology? etymology? 1910s. Oh, not um, super far off. Just, like, 50 years <laughs> from yeah. Hugo printing it. In another country. (laughs) Okay, it's just about indigo then. So, yeah, he's saying, like, once I've got my indigo, I'll be (laughs) rich. I'm really sorry. Um, uh, Another slang term used for the condition is lover's nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was going to be like, this is a bit on the nose, but blue balls as well is a little bit. (laughs) No, it wouldn't be on the nose because it's trapped in the... That's the whole thing. <laughs> you know, it doesn't come... Uh, anyway, sorry, carry we on. We have fun here. <laughs> <laughs> Back to our nice, wholesome, <laughs> sweet old man. Back to being sad about this old man. <laughs> when I've made my balls of blue, I'll be rich. 
And then I can go buy back those copper plates from the pawn shop. And then I'll drum up interest in my flora again. And I'll, by putting a load of money in it and advertising it in newspapers. And then I'll be able to buy this book I really want with woodcut illustrations. In our adaptation, um, Mabuf is a uh, is the same man, but is having to not go to a porn shop, but having to sell <laughs> nudes on OnlyFans. <laughs> and that's why his balls are blue. That's why his balls are blue, and also why he's called Daddy Beef. Daddy Beef, or like, would his alternative porn name Blue Balls? Is Blue Balls like... <sighs> Archive of our own. Do people find blue balls sexually attractive? <laughs> well, maybe it's that, like, hmm, is he giving you blue balls? Because, uh, fuck, what's the kink attached to that when you're like. Like edging? Yeah. Hmm. But the, like, AO3 version of the kink, the tag. Uh. God, my brain is just gone. Uh, orgasm delayed denial. Yeah! Yeah! Yay! Yay! Glad we came and remembered the term. They should not have taken us that long considering how many fics we read. (laughs) Our brains were just so academically focused on limits. Yeah, that's the reason. Yep. Well, that one, all that to say (laughs) that orgasm denial is a big tag on Tumblr, so, and blue balls is kind of like attached to that. Yeah, that's true. Daddy blue balls. Hmm. But then daddy beef is is pretty good. Daddy (laughs) beef balls. Yeah, that's like (laughs) ball balls is where I was going. We'll workshop it. Yeah, yeah. For the Lamer's web series you'll have to do where he's actually only like 25, but next to all these like 19-year-old twinks, they consider him an old man. Yeah, he's a he's a queer elder. <laughs> <laughs> all this queer elder wants is to buy old books and sell his book and and play with his indigo. Yeah. Um, and he's almost 80 and he's literally like scrounging to live. <laughs> I can't believe Victor Hugo made me care about old white men. <laughs> I know! He's literally, his dinner that he's having tonight is an old bone with like a tiny bit of meat left on it. And a piece of bread that he just like found on the table. God, baby! <laughs> and Mayor Plutarch, who... Oh, I, th- I feel like, did we say that he, who's his... um Like housekeeper. Old set, yeah, housekeeper. Mm. Who also just like listens to him read? Yeah, that were they were our like a solidarity yeah. duo. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's real sick. No, <laughs> and all they have to sit on is just like an old overtown boundary stone, and that serves as his bench. And it's all just a bit sad, and he's leafing through his books, and considering he's so he's this like old. Tim- well, it says timid man, but when we first met him, he was like, oh, hey, stranger, Marius, let me just, like, chat to you about, like, oh, this strange tale that I've got. Mm. His natural timidity um, makes him susceptible to a certain acceptance of superstitions. Mm. And he's reading these two books about demons. <laughs> the first one is Of the Inconstancy of Demons, and then the other is On the... Devils of Vauvert and the Goblins of the Bever. And I think Nearly we should read Voltaire. both. <laughs> <laughs> it was so close to Voltaire. Let's read those. Yeah, sounds great. Do they? Do the devils fuck? I don't know if they do. Oh. We, we learn more in an asterisk about the second one, which mm. was the Vauvert and the Goblins, because the Goblins are quite... Like, topical for him, there's, like, these legendary evil spirits that are supposed to haunt the medieval ruined castle of Vauvert in Paris. Mm. And then, also, on the name of Goblins, mm. which is the great family of tapestry makers closely associated with a nearby river in Paris, Yeah, sometimes called the Goblins River, Goblins meaning goblins... <laughs> So it's all plays on words. The park that Marius is currently standing in, hoping to see his alouette, was next to Goblin's River. Yes. And watch this space. We're about to get more information on where that field might be for us to hunt down. Cool. 
So, bearing in mind, he's thinking about this goblin river and the goblins and the devils. His garden had been one of the sites haunted by goblins in the past. Mm. And he's like sat out in his garden reading his book. And he's looking at his plants and his rhododendrons, which are so magnificent. Uh, really dry and that you know there's just like not been good weather for it It, there's been no wind it's just been sunshine not a drop of rain can relate (laughs) yeah and the leaves are falling and the buds are drooping and everything needs watering and he's just like oh he's one of those people who plants have souls (laughs) he's been laboring all day in his indigo plot he's so exhausted but he stands up and he's like I've gotta, I've gotta water my plants. So he goes over to totters over. Sorry, <laughs> totters over to the well. But when he's grasping the chain, he just doesn't have enough in him to even pull it hard enough no. for heck. Oh my god! He turned and looked up in anguish towards the sky, which was filling with stars. Oh. And like. Do stars in their multitude? Yeah, do they usually show up when someone's in anguish? Is that like been a theme? I don't, I don't know. There's been the moonlight, but mm. not really the stars. Because we've been like, oh, they're stars, but I've not been thinking about like the people's mood when they're stars. Mm. But I know that Javert gets sad, <laughs> and they're stars. <laughs> Actually, there aren't at the end. Oh, okay. Big, that's a big deal, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at least the stars are looking at this old man's anguish. Yeah, because, like, God is watching down on him from sky. Oh. <laughs> I really want um, a piece of classical style art that is my buff at the well. Like, his fingers, like, stained with indigo. Oh. Like, ho- like, trying to hold the chain and just looking upwards at the stars. Oh. I, I think it needs to be an oil painting. It definitely needs to be an oil painting. Oh, just like crying up into the night, like stars everywhere, but not the tiniest cloud, not a drop of water, a drop of dew, a little pity. And he's trying, still trying to fumble with the well chain. He just can't do it. But then he hears a voice. Pema Buff, would you like me to water your garden? Mm. And... It's like a creature of the wild moving in the hedge and Mm. emerging as a tall, thin girl staring at him boldly. She'll look not so much a human being as some evening flowering manifestation. Mm. Which is like the nicest description we've got, we've had for our eponine. I want her in the painting as well. Yeah. Like one of those um, flowers that like only blooms at night. He's like takes fright quite easily, um, but before he can be like, ah, she's already moving with this bizarre abruptness and unhooking the chain and retrieving water. The old boy saw this apparition barefoot in a ragged skirt darting among the flower beds, distributing life all around her. The sound of the watering can on the leaves filled Mabuff's soul with delight. It seemed the rhododendron was happy now (laughs) and she just keeps refilling the bucket and waters the whole garden there was something about the sight of her walking down the path she's like appeared completely black with her shawl and tatters fluttering around her arms that makes her resemble a bat Mm. and when she was done he goes up to her with tears in his eyes and lays his hand on her forehead and is like, oh, God bless you, you're an angel because you care for these flowers. Mm. And she's like, no, I'm the devil, but I don't mind. Uh, justice, justice. <laughs> and he's like, what a pity. I'm such a poor wretch that I can't do anything for you. She's like, oh, well, you can actually do something for me. What? Tell me where Marius lives. And he's like, who's Marius? <laughs> And she's like, the young man who used to come here, and he's like, uh, oh yeah. I mean, uh. I know who you mean. Baron Marius Pomacy. Oh, he lives, or like, he used to live. Well, I don't know. And then he's like, okay, well, like, we pass each other on the street sometimes. And 
he's usually in Alouette's meadow, so like you, you'll probably find him there. Mm. And he bends down to pin a rhododendron branch, and when he looks back, she's gone. <gasps> and he's like, oh, if, if my garden had been watered, I think that my spirit... I'd think that was a spirit of some sort. Mm. And then later in bed, he's like, hmm, actually, that was very like the account of the goblins. Could she have been a goblin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's um very much um every single non-binary person. Yep. <laughs> the next of the things that we write <laughs> yeah. is just these two becoming a dream team. Mm. Yeah, very <laughs> They cute. both deserve it. They both deserve way better than Hugo gives them. Yeah. So then, next chapter, the title warns us, Marius's visitation. <laughs> Thank you for the heads up. So it's a couple days after the spirit who had visited Père Mabouf. It's a Monday, which is usually when Marius will borrow five francs from Kufarak and take that for Tenardier. But he goes for a little walk before he does that. Every day, he's like, he gets up in the morning and he sits down in front of a book and a sheet of paper in which he's, so he's meant to be translating again. Like, he actually has got another job. Uh Uh, He's meant to do a French version of a German dispute. Uh And then every day, he's like, he'll read a few lines, he'll try to write a line, he won't succeed. And he's like, right, I'll go out, that'll get me started. Yeah. We, we hate when we hate when he's relatable. Yeah. And then he'll go to the meadow and then he'll come home, try and resume his work, he'll fail again. It's impossible to repair a single one of the broken threads in his brain. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. And then he's like, right, tomorrow I'm not gonna go out, it stops me working. And then tomorrow he's like, anyway, I've gotta go out. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> He's, like, living in Alouette's meadow more than Cooper X at this point. I feel like, yeah, in the modern day, that's just opening Twitter is for me. Yep. <laughs> just start referring to that as, I've just got to visit Alouette's meadow. <laughs> yeah, genuinely. And this is when we get our next clue on where that meadow, where we're going to leave <laughs> the, yeah. the journals. Okay. His little dream journals. His real address was Boulevard de la Sainte, the seventh tree after the Rue Crolebab. Crolebab? Rue Oh, there is a park next to it. The seventh tree. There's the Goblins River. This is closer than I thought. Like last time we were looking more towards Ivry. I think so. I forget as well with London that you're like, I'm sure, well, we know that Paris would have been the same, where it actually used to be fairly small and then you just keep expanding the city out until, like, (laughs) the actual centre of London is, like, tinsy. Yeah. Because, yeah, you can see the Salpetriere from this garden. Uh, Plus, oh, okay, so it's called Place de la Bourguière, de Ivry, this park. Can we go inside it? Where's the seventh tree? There's a a, a thing in it called Ch- Cheminée de l'Amour. Oh yeah, I see it. <laughs> che, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll watch that film about the shepherdess who got murdered in there by her ex-lover. Was that it? Yeah. That, like that, that Hugo was at the beheading of? Yeah. And we'll know from that film... The location of where Marius hangs, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's a pretty small park. You can kind of see everything, and you can see like that. So there's a a photograph that you can like drop in on, and I feel like the trees around the edge Ooh. of the park are like old enough that they're probably like two hundred years old. Maybe not. Maybe they're only like fifty years old. But there's yeah, one. Pretty there's some pretty. One. There's that big boy with the flowers on it. Yeah. Let's pretend that's the one. Yeah. Well, that's where we're leaving our uh, geocache. Yeah. So that's where Marius keeps going. And he's moved away from that seventh tree and he sat down on the parpet of the Goblins River. Mm. He's thinking of her. (laughs) (laughs) Which has its own little quotation marks around it. And he's just, you know, reflecting on how his idleness and the paralysis of spirit 
Mm. Uh, I'm on the darkness before her. Him, he can't. It's like he can't even see the sun. And through this painful emergence of hazy notions that did not even constitute a monologue, <laughs> through this melancholy self-absorption, sensations from the outside world did still reach him. Uh-huh. So he's hearing below him on the banks of the river the sound of the washerwomen bringing in their laundry. And above him, the birds are chattering in the trees. The elm trees. So we're looking out maybe for an elm. Mm-hmm. Freedom, carefree, happiness, winged idleness. And on the other side, the sound of to- toil. And what profoundly bemused him was that both of these were joyous sounds. <laughs> okay. Okay. And in the midst of his dejected ecstasy, he hears in a familiar voice, Ah, here he is! (laughs) And he looks up and he recognises that poor child who had come to his room that one morning, the Mm. older daughter, Eponine. Mm. He knew her name now. Strange to say, she looked poorer, but prettier. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Marius. Also interesting that she's a child when Cosette became a woman. Mm, you're a woman when you're attractive. Well, she is prettier. So. Mm, prettier. She'd made a twofold advance towards the light and towards destitution. So she's wearing basically the same rags as the last time we saw her a couple months ago. They're just like more tattered and more filthy. Mm. She's got that same husky voice, the same... Free-ranging, distracted, unsettled gaze. Uh, and, but in her face, more than what was there before, was that indefinable fearfulness and pitifulness that time spent in prison adds to poverty. Mm. She's got bits of straw in her hair, not an account of b- being driven mad like Ophelia was by Hamlet's madness. <laughs> okay. But because she'd been sleeping in a, in a loft. A stable love. But with all that, she was beautiful. What a morning star is youth. And looking at him, she's got like this smile on her face and there's a hint of joy in her pallid complexion. And she's sort of staring at him for a second and then it's like, oh, I found you. Pema Buff was right. It was on this boulevard. Oh, how I've looked for you. I, if only you knew. Oh, you know, I've been, I've been put inside for a couple weeks, but you know, they couldn't hold me for long because I'm... Not old enough to be held criminally responsible. I'm just two months shy of that. Um, oh, God. I know. And then she and we, I guess, must move briskly on. That She's like, oh, but anyway, you know, how I found you. Like, where have you been? Don't you live here anymore? And he's like, no. She's like, oh, yeah, I guess, because of what happened. You know, uh, both called you Baron Marius or something. Like, you're not a baron, mm. are you? Because you're, like, wearing this really old hat. <laughs> You look pretty poor. <laughs> you look pretty shit, bro. And she sort of like chatters away about different things. And it's like, oh, uh, so like, where are you living now? And he doesn't reply. She's like, oh, well, you've got a hole in your shirt. I must mend it for you. And he just like just keeps standing there silently. Um, and her expression starts to cloud over. She's like, oh, you don't look very happy to see me. Still, he says nothing. This little bitch doesn't deserve her. No. So then finally, she's like. Well, I could make you happy if I wanted to. And he's like, what? What do you mean by that? And she's like, oh, you don't need to be so formal. Because um, he had used vu, mm. which she then also used, even though she didn't want to, because that's what he was using. And he was like, mm. well, very well, what do you mean? And then he, he's changed to the familiar too. Mm. And she hesitates, sort of torn by some inner conflict, and then finally seems to decide... Never mind, it won't make any difference. You look sad, and I want you to be happy. Just promise to laugh. I want to see you laugh and hear you say, Oh, now that's good. You know, you promised you'd give me whatever I wanted. Yes, but go on, tell me. I've got the address. Mm. What address? The address you asked me for, she added, as if it were costing some effort. The address, you know the one, of that lady. And then she sighs deeply, but he leaps up and grabs her hand, is like, oh, show me the way, Toby, ask whatever you want of me, where is it? So she agrees to take him there, but withdraws her hand from his, and in a tone of voice that would have cut to the heart of anyone watching, but Marius is too enraptured, transports of delight. He doesn't even notice when she's like, oh, how happy you are. 
And he grabs her arm again and is like, swear to me something. Your father, promise me, Eponine, swear to me you won't tell your father this address. She's mm. like, oh, Eponine, you know my name is Eponine. He's like, promise me what I said. She's like, oh, that's lovely that is, that you called me Eponine. And he grabs her with both arms. He's like, for heaven's sake, answer me, listen to what I'm saying. Swear to me that you won't tell your father the address. She's like, my father, oh, yeah, you don't need to worry, he's locked up. Uh, in any case, I don't care about him. You haven't promised. And she's like, oh, let go of me. And she's laughing, but I'm just like, Marius. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're shaking me so hard. Yes, yes, uh, I promise. Uh, <laughs> In a way, it's a good thing that Marius, uh, that Evanine doesn't get with Marius because... Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't deserve No. She's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I promise. Are you satisfied? And he's like, don't tell anyone else either. And she's like, yeah, okay, sure. He's like, oh, take me. Take me there right now. And she's like, yeah, okay. Oh, how happy he is. And she starts walking and then she stops and is like, you're following me way too closely, Marius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. And then you follow a couple uh, steps back. A respectful, a respectable, there's nothing respectful about <laughs> Marius. <laughs> a respectable young man like you shouldn't be seen with a woman like me. No language could convey everything contained in that word woman as spoken by that child. (laughs) I mean, that's a good line. Mm. So then she goes a couple paces forward and then stops and he catches up with her again. And she's like, oh, by the way, you know, you promised me something. And he fumbles around in his pocket and takes out the five francs he was going to give to Tenardier. No, I don't want your money, sir. Literally, he puts it in her hand and she opens her fingers so that the coin falls through. And gazing at him somberly is like, I don't want your money. Yeah. Uh... Cries. <laughs> it's just like some sad ones of some faves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, like... The Eponine stuff was so sad that I forgot about the Mabuff stuff, which was so sad. There was like that brief moment of joy, I guess, <laughs> where they both met, cancelled out the sad. I thought you meant the brief moment of joy being Javert serving Kunt. No, that's how we opened up and then it went downhill. <laughs> yeah, it was very quickly downhill. Yeah. Marius, you bastard! <laughs> literally we're just gonna go to that park to that tree and then just carve Marius you fucking bastard (laughs) we leave his dream journal but like defaced yeah like what is it the the, like slut journal from whatever that film is uh the burn book yeah yeah Marius Promisey is a no good hobag slut or something like that. <laughs> and meta wise, it works as well because, as we all know, I am actually Marius Promisey. So. <laughs> oh, I don't like it when the 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 plot is just like my favorite characters don't have nice things happen to them. <laughs> In I mean, that is, yeah, I was like, yeah, suddenly that does happen a lot. <laughs> Next chapter has a very sad moment for me, so I guess I'll need actually the full hour of mourning. <laughs> yeah, it's great, cool. I mean, lots to look forward to yeah. there. What would our Eponine and Mabuff AU, where people get what they deserve, look like? Mm-hmm. I think, okay, AU, it's when um, uh, Mabuff has run an allotment for like 50 years and it's kind of like dying off because loads of like rich people have bought allotment spaces but haven't actually like used them and so he goes around and like tends to all these spaces then eponine like can't afford to have one of the spaces but is like kind of sleeping there one night when mabuf is like um tending to some plants and he's like oh my god like what are you doing here kind of shocked and and a bit scared about who she is and she's like oh like she kind of like is very aggressive and is like oh um i can fight you like you don't scare me and he's like no no i'm not like trying to tell you to go away or anything i'm just like if you need a warmer place to be there's like a house over there and she's like i'm not coming into your fucking household man (laughs) what the fuck um he's like okay well like here's some fire stuff and like some food 
but he like leaves it near her and she's like she doesn't accept it but like she goes away for a couple weeks and then she comes back a couple weeks later and she's like kind of injured but like she knows that this is kind of a safe space and then she like they slowly like every day like kind of speak some words but he's just like pretending that he's telling a story to the plants and she's like pretending that she's not listening and then they like slowly slowly start like laughing at each other's stories and then she like starts tending to some of the stuff when especially like it's heavy stuff that he can't lift anymore and then like um she like slowly starts blooming more and more and um starts like laughing and stuff and like he's like eventually like puts a little corner and he's like oh well these rich people haven't these barons the pomerces <laughs> have been around for a really long time um so you can have their space until they come back and she's like oh thank you and but i don't have any seeds or anything and so he like cuts one of his things and is like here's you can propagate this and i can teach you how to do it and they neither of them die <laughs> And they're happy, and it's really nice and sweet. The end. Oh no, not the end. They one night um just like lie back, and it's like the most beautiful starry sky either of them have ever seen, and they both feel content and at peace. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and that's the canon. What happened? That's canon. That's canon. You can stop reading Lamez right now because I've just spoiled what actually happened. Mm. Everything that we will be reading on this podcast is just Victor Hugo's Grimdark AU <laughs> of the yeah. real story. Yes, 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 yes. That would be a really funny book to put out. A novel that pretends like Lamez is the like AU. <laughs> That's actually our magnum opus. We say that about every AU of Lamez <laughs> in every iteration. Like oh, our magnus opus, magnum opus is going to be an anthology series of all yeah. of our magnum opuses. So. Yeah, because we've got to do the Panto. We've got yeah. like Voltaire is part of the extended cinematic Lamez universe. Yeah, I think just like in the middle of like it's not like halfway through. It's like. <laughs> two-fifths of the way in there's like one chapter that's just like fully just Voltaire and Friedrich fucking and it's mm-hmm. like not given any kind of context whatever whatsoever and you're like D- who who are these people but if you're paying attention to Les Mis you should know yeah <laughs> who they are so and also if you're a fan of Les Mis you would know to expect this kind of out of the blue <laughs> plot and time yes stamp change so who's the fake fan here yes exactly wow what a, at least we've got our like i don't know it's gonna be longer than our 10-year plan i expect <laughs> yeah this podcast is our 10-year plan what streaming series will pick up um here are all the characters of layman's that you don't see in any other adaptation I don't know if just, like, Netflix can pick up one of our many projects, but this is, like, a multimedia... uh, (laughs) Experience. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of parts of this anthology that we're then going to have to bring together. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And then at the end, then we get to write our Lamers is the grim dark AU of this. (laughs) Lamers is actually the multiverse of madness of our... Where he was like, I am edgy, and what if all these characters died? Yeah, and we're like, oh, Hugo with his time machine. (laughs) Perfect. Excellent. Beautiful. Yeah. No notes. Let's go straight to press. Mm. (laughs) And then... um, Every time we come up with a new piece, that's the most important piece. So right now... The eponine and Mabuff piece is the most important. Yeah. We're just doing all of the rest of our extended Lamers Universe works just for that one. When we do publish this as a as a novel, um, obviously it'll be I want us to have like one page more than Lamers does. <laughs> <laughs> that would raise Hugo from his grave just to add one more page to his work. Yeah, the last page just is like 
copulate on my fucking grave, Victor Hugo. <laughs> copulate on my fucking grave. Well, good stuff. We did it. <laughs> Again, yeah. what excellent work. Wow, we're just such geniuses. <laughs> I can't believe how good our brains are all of the time. <laughs> Listening back to last week's episode, I was like, are we kind of almost maybe coherent but maybe this is also just my memory of it like I feel like when we're like well we're all over the place today I listen back and I'm like no nah, there was something there whereas like today where we should have been fine <laughs> I'm like what this this is just our emotions and actually Victor Hugo said last week that uh, when your heart's broken every thought that you have is like profound and correct and yeah. My hearts are pretty broken this week from above and Eponine, so actually everything we've said has just been so right, and you can't uh, fight us because <laughs> our dad, Victor Hugo, <laughs> said so. <laughs> oh, I uh, want to legally change my name to have Hugo at the end. <laughs> we'll only invoke him when we want to be snotty. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I guess we do sort of treat him like that, where we're like, fuck you, Dad, I hate you, <laughs> but I do need help with this mortgage or whatever. <laughs> Bankroll our book about how you're full of shit. <laughs> oh my god, I wonder if we can find some way to pretend that we were, like, blood relatives. Mm. Elaborate plans. All of this has got to come together. Mm, a lot of schemes this week. <laughs> it's all for you, Eponine. This is our, uh, but what was it called? A, uh... I thought you were going to say orgasm denial. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> no, that's not my callback. Postillion. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is our postillion for, for Eponine. We're just throwing our notes and she sends us back the biscuit that's like, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. She's like, I'm straight. And we're like, oh, babe. <laughs> oh, babe. No, you're not. <laughs> Um, anyway, <laughs> this has been Bread and Barricades, a lame podcast produced by me, Nemo Martin, and Julian Yap. If you like this episode and you would like to send us a biscuit, you can do that um, by donating to our Kofi or Patreon, which are down in the show notes. If you live in Paris and you want to go to Goblins Park and take a picture by the seventh tree, and then send it to us. You can send that picture to us, lamospodcast at gmail.com, L-E-S-M-I-S, or on Twitter at lamospodcast, or on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. You can also send us comments, quibbles, or suggestions. Our audio designer is Jade. You can find on her website, jadewasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jadewasabi.bandcamp.com. And just like how many stars there are in multitudes above Mabuf's head, you can give us five stars on uh, Apple or on Spotify. That would be very helpful. (laughs) Also, the day after this episode comes out, uh, you should Google Trice Forgotten and listen to that podcast. It's going to be great. Finally, finally it's out. Second of August, go listen to Trice Forgotten, Rusty Core Podcast. Uh, The end. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Thank you.